0: So Good morning again. My name is Jamie. I'm the lead pastor here at Ebenezer. If you're joining us online or in the room, so glad you're here today. And if you're a guest, I don't want to take anything for granted, but if you're a guest today, in front of you there should be a Connect card. We would love to invite you to fill out that Connect card. Stop by our welcome desk on the way out. We've got a special gift for you that we'd love to give to you just to say thanks. Love to hear your story where God's working in your life and how we as a church can come along and partner alongside of you. And let me just say again just how appreciative we are of Shannon and the team that, that worked last, uh, this week to get ready for Night to Shine. I'm telling you, it was incredible. And so as we were walking around and hearing people talk about it, we were like, so are you saying, let's do it again? And it was a resounding yes. So go ahead and note, next February, we're doing it again. So I'm excited about it. And, and here's the cool thing. We're starting this new series today called Change the World. And um, what better day to do that than on the first Sunday that our new missions pastor is in the room? And so uh, I want to introduce you today to Randy and Lisa Williams. Many of you got to meet them when we had the meet and greet uh, one Wednesday night back in January, uh, but I can't wait for you guys to get to know him better and to continue hearing his heart for missions. They have three sons. They have Rand and his and his. <coughs> excuse me. And his wife, Meg, that live in, in Austin, Austin, right? Austin, Texas. It's Georgetown, though, right? It's Georgetown, Texas, but works in, in uh, leadership in Chick-fil-A. His son, Miles, and his wife, Ann, right now, I believe, right now, is getting ready to preach, to close out the discipleship weekend at his church in Op, Alabama, where he serves as student pastor at South Alabama. He's close enough to go take a, a reprieve at the beach, I think. And then their, their youngest son, Daly, is a senior at North Hall High School. He's at a Disciple Now weekend right now at Concord wrapping it up, which would be his last one as a student participant. And so a lot of stuff going on, three awesome young men. But I want you guys to put eyeballs on, on Randy and Lisa. So guys, would y'all come up and join us? You guys give them their first official welcome home from Ebenezer. so... Uh, Randy and I met over six years ago and had the opportunity to serve for five and a half years together at Concord. Many of you guys, as you heard, got to meet him in Ensenada, Mexico back in October, and you already fell in love with him. And so, Randy, would you like to say a few words this morning as we get rolling? i wondering a little bit why I'm even here, all right? Because I, what I've gotten to see with your just heart and love for missions already I guess I'm here to maybe, maybe get to just be a part of that, and I'm excited about it. I mean, when you, when you look at it, your night to shine and other things that you're doing locally, uh, this week I got to meet uh, on, online, I guess, some of your mission partners here throughout the United States. And, of course, as, as Jamie already mentioned, I uh, got to go to Mexico with, what, like almost 60 of you mm-hmm. back in October and just have already gotten to see your heart for missions and I'm excited about what God's got in store for us. So just like we're doing night to shine again, are you saying we're going back to Hugo in Ensenada maybe this oh, I, October? I am. I, I hope you <laughs> join me. I'm planning on it. It's good stuff, guys. I want to invite you. I know we're standing and sitting a lot today, but this one is vital. So I want to ask you to to stand up. And as you're standing up, I want you to reach your hands out and let, let's pray a blessing over them as they begin their ministry here. Father, you are so good to us, and you still sometimes blow our minds at how you are working things that we don't even realize. And God, I pray you touch Randy, Lisa, and Daly as they come to, to join us here. God, I pray they felt that welcome home as we felt it a year ago. God, that this is a church that they'll be here a few months, and in a few months they'll feel like they've been here a few years. I pray an anointing on their life that you fill them with the Spirit. And as Randy is alluding, God, we pray that we would see our missions go to the next level God, not because of us, not because of Randy, but because you are calling us to it. And if you call us to it, you'll equip us and prepare us to do it. And so, Lord, we want to be world changers. We want to see you work in us. So touch them, give them favor. God, as they're making connections, I pray you give them that supernatural ability to remember stories and remember names. But, God, as they begin to settle down, that this will become family. Lord, we love you. We thank you for them. In Jesus' name, everybody said. One last time, would you let the Williams know how much we love them? Thank you, guys. So if you'll have a seat, and as you do, I want to invite you to turn to the 13th chapter of the book of Acts. 13th chapter of the book of Acts. We're going to start a new series, uh, actually a series of series. This is going to be the first of three series that we're going to do in our journey this year. Our theme this year is move, to relocate, to be active, to go and be engaged. And this first one, we're going to follow Paul's first missionary journey. In May, we're going to look at the second missionary journey. And in the fall, we're going to look at the third missionary journey. And each one of these series, we're going to focus on a different nuance of what God's doing in that. Now, the book of Acts was written by a man we believe to be called Luke, who also wrote the gospel of Luke. The major connecting points between those two books is found in the introductions of both of those, as we find this man writing to someone named Theophilus, which means friend of God, and he's giving an account in Luke about Christ, and now he's giving an account of the church, the start of the church, and the going of the church. You can take a line and kind of draw it about one-third of the way through as the first third of the book focuses on the Apostle Peter and his ministry. He's ministering in Jerusalem and the church is beginning to grow, but that ministry was to the Jews. By the time we get to Acts chapter 10, we see this transition as we we get this um, story of a man named Cornelius who was a believing Jew and they receiving the gospel, evidenced by them receiving the Holy Spirit, and now we know that the gospel wasn't just for the Jews, but was for the Jews to carry out into the world. But the same tension that Jesus experienced in the gospel we'll see in the book of Acts as those holding to Jewish roots would begin to come up against that. In fact, when we get into chapter 7 we meet a man named Stephen and Stephen who is contending for the faith is the one we first hear of in the Bible dying for their faith other than Jesus himself. He's stoned to death. And standing over to the side while these Good intention, I guess, Jews are stoning a man to death for saying that Jesus is the Messiah, is a man named Saul. And had such prominence that as they're picking up rocks, they had to take off their coats so they could get a good throw. Are laying their coats at the feet of Saul. He was a Pharisee, as he called himself, a Pharisee of Pharisees. And he's standing there, in fact, as it begins to unfold into chapter 8, we hear the church is dispersed, they scatter. Because God didn't intend for them to stay in Jerusalem. You know it? He meant for them to go. And so at the stoning of Stephen, they began to separate and go out into other cities. As it says, Saul began to ravage. The word is ravage. It means to discredit, to destroy the church. He wanted to tear it down. And he did so thinking he was doing this in the name of the Lord. Isn't that ironic? And so you get to chapter 9. And Paul is on his way to Damascus with letters to go arrest men and women for the the cause of Judaism who were standing for the church. And on the way, thank God, he met Jesus. And Jesus strikes him blind on the road to Damascus and it changes his life. The one who was going to ravage the church is now a part of the church. And he's there, he's blind, and this man named Ananias comes and prays for him. And Paul receives his sight back. And from that point on, his message changed. He was no longer trying to destroy the church, he was trying to build the church. And as we will find out in in, in the writing of the book of Acts, is that God had raised up Paul to be the one to carry the gospel to the Gentiles. One man, and in his efforts, we see a change in this world. Don't ever let small tell you that you can't make a difference. You see, the reason that we're sitting in this room today, those of you that accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've been filled and marked with the Spirit. When that happened to you, you became a part of a movement. You became a part of the body of Jesus Christ. We, redeemed believers, are a part of the body, the ones that are in this world to take the gospel To the nations, and you can't do it by yourself. You can't be church by yourself. Church is not this building, it's not these walls, it's not this ceiling. It is you and me together, fitted as God ordained by the Holy Spirit working in and through us. Not our own efforts, not by our ideas, but God moving in and among us. Listen, I want to see a movement, I don't want to be part of a religion. And that's what God is calling us to. And so, as we pick up in this story, and I'll I'll do a little bit more of a backstory in just a minute. But I want you to stand with me as we read the first three verses of the 13th chapter of Acts. We're in a city called Antioch. It's one of the cities that, as they were dispersing from Jerusalem, now they've gathered in Antioch. And there's a church there, and they're about to do something incredible. Says, now there were in Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work which I have called them to. Then, when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, as we dig into this text today, Lord, I ask that you would speak through your word and challenge us that in we, as we go in our life and as you send us to go, Lord, that we would trust you and entrust to you everything that we have in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to invite you to look at your study guide for the next few moments. I want to set up where we're going to go with this series of series. And then I want to dig into this one passage. Because I want us to look at the power that comes when we will trust God in going. In this series, I want to look at Acts 13 through 15. We're going to spend the next five weeks there. And as we're doing this, I want to challenge you that you will walk along with us and reread the book of Acts. Study it, know it, look at every little detail. We're going to find out in a few minutes, in the very first verse, there are some details that are very important. But if you want to fill in these blanks, Paul's first missionary journey, Acts 13-15, through 15, we're going to call this The Journey Begins. And here's what I want us to draw from this first series, trust. Say trust. Amen. We're going to see examples of how we need to trust God as He sins. Trust God as he sends See, I can't go on my my own. I can't go just because I think it's a good idea. I need to go because I'm trusting that God has a plan in sending me. In me going. And I want you to catch that same thing. So whether that's to go to Timbuktu or across the street to your neighbor. Listen, I don't have the right to go and share the gospel in Timbuktu if I'm not willing to share the gospel to my neighbor. All of it fits and all of it matters. So then in May, when we pick this back up in his second missionary journey, we'll see how the gospel spreads. And the word there that I want you to focus on is follow. Say follow. follow. We need to follow God as he sins. We need to trust him. But in trusting him, we need to follow him. We trust him and then we follow And then in his third missionary journey, when we get to the fall, the story continues. You know what I love about the book of Acts is it's open-ended. By the time you get to Acts 28, there is no conclusion. There's no the end. It's still going. It still continues. And the challenge there is that we need to continue. Say continue. We continue to trust and follow God. In other words, when God calls you to something, there's not like this end point. You get to this end point and you're done. God leads you through this journey and as you go, he continues leading you. It's it's not closed off. When you studied geometry, you learned about line segments and rays. A ray has an endpoint and it has an arrow that goes forth. That is the way it is in our life. We have this endpoint, which was the day I accepted Jesus, and now my life is a ray and I'm going forward until the day the Lord takes me out of this earth. I have a mission. I have a purpose. So whether I'm 10 or I'm 90, God has a purpose for your and that's what we want to be challenged in today. So the first blank that I want you to fill in is this. The mission. We need to go where God sends. Now why, how is this sending happening? Well, I want you to notice three verses. I want you to look at 13.2, 13.4, and 13.9. And see if some of this sounds familiar. In 13:2 he said while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting the holy spirit said Who said it? It wasn't a prophet although God used prophets back then. It wasn't a preacher. It wasn't an angel of the Lord, it wasn't a vision. Because see, here's the difference now that the church is birthed where is the holy spirit? He's inside believers. There's believers together with other believers. And the, the Spirit is dwelling among them. And the Spirit spoke. God spoke directly. And said, set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas. But then in 13.4, he says, after they've been prayed over, laid hands, and they go out. It says, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit. They were not sent. They didn't choose to go. God spoke and said, go. And they went. God gave directions about what they were going to do. Set apart for me, Paul Bars. Now they have a direction. Out. I don't know where out is for you. You remember when you were dating? I don't know how it was for you. And, you know, I would maybe pick up Laura and I'd say, hey, where do you want to go? Let's go out. And usually I'd say, what do you want to eat? And she's like, I don't know. And so I already had in my mind about four different things I'd want to do. And I'd start rattling those off. And I'm like, oh, those are great ideas. But here was the point. I just called her and said, hey, do you want to go, say it, out. I didn't know where we were going to go. I just knew we were going out. And I was going to have a good time. I was going to be with a woman that I love. Guys, God's going to send you. And sometimes you're going to go out. And all you know is the step in front of you. But we need to trust God in the sending. We need to trust him that we will go. And and then I want you to notice in 13.9. See, because the Spirit set them apart, He sent them out, but I want you to notice the power in this. He says, But Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit. Say Holy Spirit again. Remember, we talked about the filling of the Spirit. Remember the balloon? We blew up the balloon. You can have this much spirit or have this much spirit, but, but we walk in the Spirit so we can remain filled with the Spirit. But there's those times that God gets a hold of you. And that's what happened in this passage as He's confronting this magician. The Holy Spirit is woven into each piece of this narrative. And guys, we have to think about that. That the reason we preach the Holy Spirit for the last month and a half was because that is where it's founded. That's upon what it's based. That is the new covenant. He's filled me with the Spirit, causing me to obey His commands. And if He speaks and tells me to go, what should I do? I should go. So pick up with me in verse number number 1 again. Now there were in Antioch In the church that was there Prophets and teachers If you go back a few chapters You'll find out that Barnabas Went to Antioch And in fact one author says This is actually the first account where we see them bringing Gentiles into the church We didn't get that in Jerusalem We get it at Antioch Antioch is north, almost directly north of Jerusalem And so they bring Barnabas Well Barnabas is like dude I know this guy His name is Saul but Saul's like some of you guys, you lived a pretty rough past. You 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 were in the world, if you get what I'm saying. In fact, I mean, you might be like me. I remember after I became a Christian, um, there was this girl I dated in high school, and somehow we got uh, reconnected, and we're talking on the phone, and I was telling her, like, hey, you know, but I'm saved now. And she's like, yeah, right. No, um, I am. I'm, my life has changed, and I was trying to... Like I started just telling her all these things God was doing in my life And the people that he put in my life And she, she was dumbfounded Because she knew the old me And didn't believe the new me And it was crazy Because then there was silence on the phone Some of you have heard this story There was silence on the phone I like, hey, are you still there? Because I've got, this, I got the gift of gab It's my blessing to a curse so I just Maybe she hung up on me, I didn't know She, she said, oh, I'm still there And I'm like, well, are you okay? And she said, I want what you've got So here's Saul, who had been killing the church. And no wonder the apostles didn't want to sit down with him. They are probably afraid he had a dagger under his cloak. But Barnabas, the encourager. Barnabas grew up on a little island that's going to be important in a minute called Cyprus. Barnabas was also a Levite. And we're introduced to Barnabas at the end of chapter 4. Selling land. A Levite wasn't supposed to own land you ever caught that? Because this is right before the Ananias and Sapphira thing Where they come in and say, well we sold some land And uh, they died because they lied About the amount of money Barnabas, the encourager, sold land That he wasn't supposed to own And he gave the amount to the apostles Do y'all see the beauty in that offering? That offering was more than just a good idea That offering was redemption So here's Barnabas, a Levite going and getting the Pharisee of the Pharisee, Paul, and they're going back to Antioch, and for a year, they're teaching and discipling. Who better to sit with a group of Gentiles who had no clue about Jesus, the law, Yahweh, any of the prophets, they didn't know anything, and they sat there for a year teaching and training. Who better to do that than a Levite and a Pharisee? God uses our experience in our life to touch other people's lives when we yield our lives to him. When I'm willing to trust him to go wherever he would send me. Now when they're there, this is, this is another beautiful part. I love this part because here they are and they're in this group of men. Now let me run back through that list. You've got Barnabas who was from Cyprus. He didn't grow up in Jerusalem but he's a Levite. And you have Simeon who was called Niger. More than likely was from Africa. And they named him that because the word Niger was, was black. He was most likely of a different race and ethnicity. But he is important because he's in this room. And they're praying about who are we going to send. And then you get, and he's not Simon, Simeon the Cyrene who was the one who carried Jesus' cross. I mean, some believe that he was. But if that were the case, then why did they label Lucius from Cyrene? I, I think it's because this is a different Simeon. But Lucius was from a place that's in North Africa that was settled by the Greeks in the 7th century B.C. He was Greek, as Greek as you could be. He not only wasn't from Jerusalem, not only was he a Greek, but he was an established Greek. And then you get Manion. Now, Manion's story is pretty cool. Manion grew up in the palace. He grew up with Herod Antipas. Who, if you rewind just a little bit, was no longer around because he had killed James. James, the disciple, had him put to death. The first apostle, other than than Judas, to die. But Judas didn't die a martyr's death. James did. The son of thunder was gone. You don't think the Christians weren't afraid back then? They were afraid. But do you know what courage is? Courage is an empty jug that we put our fear in and we stand against it. Courage is the measurement of my fear. Because I had to have this much courage to overcome this much fear. And they weren't afraid. These men sat in that room and they prayed. And God spoke and said, I need Paul and I need Barnabas for the work which I have called them to do. We already know that he's called to go to the Gentiles. And now it's starting to play out. Why? Because they trusted. What if we embrace that, embrace that same concept that if we believe in the mission of God to go where God sends that the local church becomes this sending place not a catch can. That the local church comes the place where I become equipped so that as I'm going in my week and as I'm going out wherever God would call me to do that I'm taking the gospel of Jesus Christ. It became, Antioch became an outpost to send people out. What would it look like in our church? Yes, this is a place we come to be encouraged. This is a place where the broken can come to find healing. That's what this is for. But in that healing, we are re-equipped and we're sent right back out. The Great Commission in Matthew 28 has a participle at the beginning. We read it and it says, go and make. But the word go is a participle and we believe that to be a command. But if you read it as... Going, make disciples. Make disciples becomes the primary verb, and the going becomes the means through which the making disciples comes. You and I are called at as we are going, we make disciples. What's your purpose in life? What is your call in life? Whether that's to serve in a nursery, to serve on a greeting team. Whatever it is, God has put a task in front of you because he needs the body together. Why? Not just so I can check off a box. But so together, the body of Christ unified. Listen, say unified. Unified. Unified means we are one-minded, one accord, with the same focus, to take the gospel outside these walls. And every single person in this room, you are called. You are called. I don't care if you're seven or you're 70, you have been called by God to go make a difference. And when you yield your life to say, God, wherever it is you want me to go, I'll go. I'm just going to take the first step, and then the second step, and I'm going to go. But I need to trust Him in the mission. But then I need to trust Him in the commission. Second point, I need to go where God leads. He says, then when they had fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, He sent them away. So they were called out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to Seleucia, sailed across to Salamis, which was on the homeland of Barnabas. Who better to send to start contending for the faith than the former Pharisee and the former Levite? Who better to go into these places where there were some Jews and kind of make some connection because they had a little bit of common ground and start contending that Jesus is the Messiah and that that then have an effect on the Gentiles around them? They laid hands on them. Why is that important? Well, number one, it is a spiritual experience. Paul even said to Timothy to fan and to flame his gift that he received when Paul laid hands on him. There's nothing magic about Paul's hands. It's the Holy Spirit. But when I lay my hands on somebody to go out, do you know what I'm saying? Whoever you are, I'm in connect, as connected to where you're going as you are. Are you following me? Sometimes on Sunday morning you may look down here and I've got my phone out and it looks like I'm playing Tetris. I'm not playing Tetris. I'm not checking Facebook. Sometimes I'll look at what our stream is doing but I'm texting our church partners, our mission partners. I'm not doing that and say, oh, Jane, you're so good. No, I'm doing it because every Sunday morning I want our church partners to know, church planning partners to know, I'm praying for you. Some of them join in on our stream and they're hearing me say this like, So if I miss a text next Sunday, I'm in trouble. They are an extension of us. Whether that's New York, New Orleans, in Kentucky, in Colorado, in Nicaragua, or whether it's North Africa or in Italy, wherever it may be, they are an extension of you. And when I lay my, when we lay our hands on somebody for ministry, whether they're serving in the nursery or serving on this stage, it does not matter. It is an extension of the unity of our body that we are doing ministry together, whatever our part is. And I need to trust God in the commissioning and go wherever he leads. Man, that's, that's awesome. How many of you like surprises? Some of you can't stand Christmas because you can't stand not knowing what's in the box. But for some of you, it fuels you up and it lights your fire. That I can't wait to see what God's going to open up next. I mean, that was the beautiful thing about Friday night. We didn't know what to expect. We didn't know what was going to happen. But guys, I'm telling you, that event... Came across so well, we, we, we were talking, I'm like, what do you change? There's nothing to change. There's a couple of nuts and bolts to tighten, but there was an enthusiasm of people because they were just saying, God, whatever you would allow me to do, I want to do it. I don't know if you know what the next step is, but I'm going to do it. And that ought to fuel us, not give us fear. That ought to excite us, not dampen us down. To say, God, I don't know what today's going to be. What if your prayer tomorrow morning when you woke up is like, God, whatever you have for me today, I'm yielded to that. You know what? And that could be like really cool stuff, or it could be some really bad suffering. God leads us in both of those paths, but in either case, it could be for His glory. Are you with me? And there's something exciting. Guys, you realize there's something exciting about just saying, "God, wherever you would send me, I'll go every day. Getting up and God, whatever you have for me. Whether that's when I'm standing in line at Dollar General and I get the chance to ask the clerk her name. Or whether I'm getting my tag renewed and the clerk and I say, hey, like, hey what's your name? My, my name? Your name's Mary. Great great to meet you, Mary. Where do you go to church? Whatever it is, looking for opportunities. And God may call you to Timbuktu. But that calling to Timbuktu is no more important than the calling you have to reach your neighbor. I go as he sins and I go where he leads and finally and I, I just want to read through the text to let you see this third point but the reason I can go if I listen to him and I follow and then I'm, I'm going and I'm listening as he leads me you don't want to get to stand I get to stand in the victory that God we go where God is working we go where God is working why do you think that all of a sudden the apostles in Jerusalem said hey there's something going on in Antioch we need to send some people up there are you with me because god was working they had already heard peter's story about the cornelius house experience and now they're seeing this stuff happen in antioch and they're going guys we need to get up there we need to see what's going on and it says so as they had gone through the whole island this is verse six as far as paphos the other side of cyprus so they started on the east went to the west it says they found a magician a jewish false prophet whose name was bar jesus who was, the who was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. That just rolls off the tongue. You ever, that's why you should read through all the lineages in the Bible, because some of them just roll right off the tongue. I mean, I mean, when was the last time you said the name Mephibosheth? I mean, it just rolls right off the tongue. But this man was a man of intelligence, and he summoned Barnabas and Paul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the magician, for so his name is translated, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. There's the tension of the story. Paul and Barnabas contending for the Messiahship of Christ, and Elimus, the magician, trying to work to persuade them away. It kind of reminds me, some of you guys are reading through the Bible, and you've gotten to Exodus, and you've stopped because the narrative stopped. When you get to Exodus 15, you stop seeing the narrative and you get all the prescriptions on how to build the tabernacle and the, 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 the priestly robes and all that stuff. And you start, you start going to sleep on it. But think about the ten plagues. Moses comes in, let my people go. And he throws his staff down and it becomes a snake. And the, the, Egyptian, uh, the Egyptian magicians, that one rolls off the tongue too. They throw theirs down and they become snakes. But then uh, Moses' staff swallows those snakes if you remember the story. Then he turns the river turns into blood and they turn things into blood. And they're, they're working their, their magic. But By the time you get to the gnats, they run, out of, they run out of stuff. They ain't got anything. They ain't got no tricks left in the bag. Guys, when you go in the power of God, the world is going to stand against you. But who sent you is more powerful than anything in this world. And we need to trust that when God sends me, he's going to provide for me. He told the disciples, look, don't worry about what you're going to say, for I will give you the words at that moment that you're going to speak. And so then in verse number 9, he said he was filled with the Spirit. He looked at Elimas and he said, you are a deceitful man, and you will be blind. And suddenly, the Holy Spirit blinds him, and he cannot see. And here's the pro going, okay. But what came first for the pro the word of God and then they see this miracle happen and that last verse there says this then the proconsul, what's your Bible say he believed when he saw what happened and he was amazed at the teaching of the Lord I go when God sends me I go wherever God leads me that's the mission and the commission But what I stand on is the victory. Jesus is the one who saves. Jesus is the one who paid the price. And wherever that is that I go, whether it's across the street or Timbuktu. I don't know why Timbuktu is my place, but we're just going to go with that. Timbuktu is the place we're going. Wherever it is in that spectrum of going, am I willing to go? Will I let fear dominate my life? Or will I trust in the Holy Spirit? Look, the Holy Spirit just made someone blind on command. That same Spirit lives inside of you if you've trusted Jesus Christ if you're, as your Savior. If you have not trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and you're lost, let me tell you how you can know Him. Today, you can meet the Son of God who came to this earth, put on human flesh, and died on a cross and shed His blood. Shed His blood that your sins could be taken away. But that's not the end of the story, is it? Because he was put in a tomb. And the Holy Spirit raised him from the dead. And that same spirit lives inside of you. The same spirit that made this man blind lives inside of you. So don't give the excuse there's no power. The power lives in you. And wants to work through you. And when we come together. And we let the spirit of God work in and among us. Wow. We would be speechless. Speechless. I think, I think Shannon said it best when she said, I just don't have the words. And that's what it's like when we work in the victory of the Spirit. Because here's the thing. What can we gain from this? We need to trust in the power of God to send. We need to trust in His Word to change lives. We need to trust that God's at work even in contentious situations. We need to trust that God's at work even if it seems like the enemy has the upper hand. We need to trust that God will give you strength. As, he remain, as you and I remain humble and steadfast. But you know what? We need to trust that God will bring forth the fruit. Because God is the one who saves. God is the one who sent his son. God is the one who has the power to change lives. Do you want to be a world changer? Then you need to know the one who can change the world. And so like, you know, whenever anybody goes, if somebody's going to move off, like go off to college or they're moving to another city. You know, a lot of times their family and friends, they'll throw a party, won't they? have a meal or they invite people over. To give them a proper send-off, they come to the table. They share at the table. You know, today as we sit here in heaven, the angels in consistent worship around the throne of God, wouldn't that be an awesome sight to see? But right now around the world, brothers and sisters of ours are doing the same thing that we're doing. They're gathered in a room, listening to someone contend for the faith of God. Listen to someone contend for the gospel. And the greatest example of the gospel is the Lord's table. As we come to the table and we're nourished, but then we leave the table and we go. And so, Fred, would you come as we uh, go into this time of worship through communion and the Lord's Supper?
1: Thank you, Pastor. We're taught in 1 Corinthians that when the people gathered together for worship, they also shared a meal together. That's how we know that they were likely Baptists, because they always ate when they got together. But as they come to the end of that love feast, is what they called it, they would have saved some bread and saved some wine to where they could have a special celebration. And that celebration really harkened way back to the days of Egypt, where uh pastor was talking about just a few moments ago, and the celebrating of the Lord's Supper. But in their more recent history, it harkened back to the Last Supper with the Lord Jesus Christ. Those elements of the bread and the fruit of the vine are precious even today. Now, we don't have a meal together, but we're going to close the feast we've had on the Word of God with coming to the table. Of the Lord. The scripture says he took the cup and gave thanks and he gave it to them and said drink from it all of you for this is the blood of my new covenant which is shed for many for the remissions of sin but I say to you that I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in the kingdom what is happening Jesus knew that there was great betrayal but he also knew there was great potential. One of the things we find, wherever the, the, the possibilities are great, the opposition is also great. And so Jesus knew though he was about to die. And he knew those that were there would be going out on their own without him very soon for the first time. So he wanted them to know that he was going to always be with them. And even symbolize that in this powerful and precious way. And so I'm going to ask the gentlemen to come and our pastors to come and to position themselves this morning because this is a powerful, powerful moment. The Holy Spirit calls us through the Word of God to examine ourselves. Listen to the Word. Whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of this bread or drink of this cup. Holy Spirit is calling us to the table of Jesus. And you know how it is when you come, if it's a a, a fellowship meal, or if it's uh, with families gathered together on a special occasion, Thanksgiving, whatever it may be. It's always a big fun time to be with those you love. But have you ever noticed there's always that one person that's there? Maybe it's somebody who's rubbed you the wrong way or that you've rubbed the wrong way or maybe they just don't believe and act the way you do or whatever and there's just this little bit of tension there. And isn't it always good to be able to do something about that tension? What the Holy Spirit is calling us to do today is look, is there any tension between us and sitting at the table with the Lord Jesus? Is there anything in our heart, any sin in our heart, unforgiveness, uh, unwillingness to say yes to God? Is there any part of my, our lives that we said, no, Lord, you can't come here? We need to carry that to the Lord. We need to make that right to where we can sit at the table across from Him and there's no tension there whatsoever. It doesn't tell us to examine yourself and then don't take of the cup. It says examine yourself so you can take of the bread in the cup. So let's bow our heads a moment and let's allow Holy Spirit to work within us. Holy Spirit, will you look deep into the hearts of each and every one of us here? Is there anything that would hinder us having the fellowship to just sit across from the table with you? Look you in the eyes and experience your love and your presence. Lord, is there any any sin we've been hiding? Is there any unforgiveness in our heart? Is there any hatred or malice? Is there anything, Holy Spirit, look deep within us. Is there anything we need to come before you and just say, Lord Jesus, I need to confess this to you. I just need to confess this. And with all that is within me, I want to turn away from this. And I ask you to forgive me and cleanse me to where I can come to the table and we can just, we can just thoroughly fellowship with one another and enjoy one another. Has the Holy Spirit put something on your heart? Well, then let's pray. Say, Lord Jesus, you've put this on my heart because it's something I know I need to deal with. I don't need to ignore it. I don't need to let it stand between me and you to where I refuse to take of the Lord's Supper. I want to deal with it right now. So I confess this to you. And with all that is within me, I want to turn away from this, this unforgiveness or this sin or whatever it is. I ask for your cleansing all fresh and in you and ask you to fill me with your presence that I can come and sit with you at the table. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. The word says, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it. And he gave it to the disciples, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, gentlemen. As the bread is being spread, you take this and hold this. But I'd like to read a portion of the word of God over you. You know, Psalm 22 is a prophetic psalm. It's almost like it was written by a reporter looking at Jesus being crucified. But it was written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before that ever happened. But will you listen to the Word of God? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Does that sound familiar? Yeah, Jesus said that from the cross. He wasn't talking about just that phrase, but this whole psalm. Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear in the night season, and I'm not silent. But you're holy. You're enthroned on the praises of your people. Our fathers trusted you. They trusted, and you delivered them. They cried to you, and you were delivered. They trusted in you, and they were not ashamed. But Father, I am a worm. I'm, I'm no man. I'm a reproach to the men around me. I'm despised by the people around me. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake their head saying, he trusted in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him. But you are the one who took me from my mother's womb, Lord. You made me trust while at my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from my birth. From my mother's womb you have been my God. So be not far from me, Lord. Trouble is near. There is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. The strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths and are like raging, roaring lions. I am poured out like water. All of my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's it's melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to the roof of my mouth. You've brought me to the dust of death. The dogs are surrounding me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and they stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. Oh, my strength. Hasten, please, to help me. These are the words of the prophet in Psalm 22, but they were the experience of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so, as you hold that little piece of bread in your hand, will you take a minute just to look at it? Just just gaze upon it for just a moment. And now let's pray. Father God, I hold this little piece of bread in my hand. And it's a tiny little bite. It doesn't even taste good. But Lord... It got here in my hand because the wheat was crushed to flour and the flour pressed into this mold. And I'm reminded how you were crushed by the weight of my sins. So as I take this little piece of bread and put it in my mouth, Father God I want to remember my precious Lord Jesus crushed that I might be filled. In the name of my Lord do I pray. Amen. That same evening he also took the cup and he said, gave thanks. And he gave it to them saying, drink all of you from this. For this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remissions of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of it until we drink of it together in my Father's kingdom. There's another prophetic passage I'd like to read over you today. And this is from Isaiah, Isaiah 53. And again, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ died. But God allowed the prophet to see through time and report as if he was actually standing at the foot of the cross. Will you hear these words? He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Listen to these personal pronouns. Surely he has borne our grief, and he has carried our sorrows. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we're healed. He was broken so you and I can be healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. And yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from the prison and from judgment. And who would declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people. He was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him and bring him to grief, and by his knowledge my righteous servant shall justify many. He shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sins of many. And made intercession for all the transgressors as you hold the cup in your hand will you just gaze into it it's just a a little bit of juice fruit of the vine but Jesus said something phenomenal he said this cup is really the new covenant in my blood you see his blood is what sealed our forgiveness and won our eternal life so as we look into this cup we're thinking Lord your blood was shed for me your life was poured out That I may not die eternally, but have eternal life? Take a moment and pray. Close your eyes and pray. And thank God for the blood. For the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Hear our prayer, O Lord. Scripture says he has appeared in this latter time to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear yet a second time, apart from sin, unto our salvation. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. Will you drink the cup with me? Paul finished out by saying, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So by partaking in this, you have literally preached your first sermon. You have proclaimed the gospel together.
0: Pastor. So I want you to look at that empty cup. Because just as this cup is empty, so was Jesus emptied. But just like Jesus was buried in the tomb, so is that empty tomb still there. And so as you go out today, keep this in mind. No matter what you face, no matter what you may go through, there is victory. Father, as we go today, I pray you touch our people, that you can encourage our people and lift them up in Jesus' name. And everybody said, God bless you guys. Have a great week.